Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Eiton, here with my co-host, Todd Atkins. Hello, hello. And today we have with us a former co-host of this podcast, Daniel M. Daniel is the lead pastor of Beulah Alliance Church. He's also the author of several books, including No Silver Bullets and his latest book, You Are What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life and Love. Daniel, awesome to have you back today. Hey, it's great to be with you, Dan and Todd, except Todd stole my intro. Oh, I Hello, hello. You could have stolen mine. So, I was expecting yeah. a what? I could have, I could have, but there you go. You did it. You did both of our intros. So I didn't, I, I don't do those much anymore. Um, I was with Ed uh, on New Churches, back on New Churches again recently, and still, still had to come through. Hey, I want to say Daniel is not here to uh, he promote. Uh, a book today or or anything like that. But I do want to say that I think the people that read No Silver Bullets before the pandemic would also tell you that it's just as good, if not better, to read after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So good job, man. Thank you. One of my favorite things about Daniel is the blend of the theology and practice that he brings is super beneficial. It's one of the things that I wish I did better. I'm great at the practice piece or synthesizing and exegeting business books and bringing them into play. But Daniel, he's got that as well as the theology piece. So um, just, man, great to have you on the podcast. Miss you, miss your face and excited to talk to you today. Yeah, it's so good. So good to be back. And I just feel like I'm with old friends. So I'm excited for this, guys. Okay. Awesome. Here's the big question. Uh, we're going to actually go through quick hitters. If, if you um, are a longtime listener, you know what quick hitters is. If you're not, buckle up. These are quick and they are going to be great because of the people we have on this podcast today. So, Dan and Daniel, here's the first question. What is one thing you've read recently that you would want to pass along? Well, I just finished teaching a course a couple months ago for Briarcrest Seminary on organizational development and renewal. And as I was writing the course up and trying to figure out figure out what books to assign and how to teach this course, I just went back to an oldie, Managing Corporate Life Cycles by Adizas. And it was as I was going through it, I'm like, man, this is it's an older book. Please tell it's me you did not Bible assign this to students. Of, I did assign it to students. Oh my goodness, Daniel. <laughs> yeah. And that part of it five is inches uh, thick. I know it is. And I remember first day of class, I apologized to the whole class and I was like, guys, okay, I know how tough of a slog it was to get through that book, but this is a book that is that needs to be on your shelf as a reference book. It's going to be one of those books that you're going to be turning to over and over again, because it's the Bible when it comes to organizational development and renewal. So it's been probably way over a decade since I'd first read that book. But as I was going through it again and preparing the lectures, I was like, yeah, this is why it's a classic. This is why there's so many, whether it was pre-COVID, post-COVID, during COVID, doesn't matter. There's so many principles around how do you grow an organization? What 
sort of leaders and roles do you need at different stages of the organization? How do you prevent yourself from going over the S curve and, and moving down into aristocracy and all that? There's so many churches that need to be revitalized that are over on that side. And there's so many church plants that never make it over and get to hump, get to the, the prime or they get past it and they move over the hump and get on the other side and they start, instead of growing, they start aging. So there's so much in and around that book that was fun to revisit. I can't believe you assigned that book. <laughs> I mean, it's an incredible book, mm -hmm. but it's not for the faint of heart. And it's like, you're in the 1%, even if you buy the book. Yeah. You're in the 1% if you make it through. Okay. It is, it, you're right. Even if you don't read it, if you don't read it cover to cover, that's fine. You probably will yeah. over the next decade. So go ahead and pick it up and you won't be sorry. You'll be, yeah, so, if, if you need a proper yeah, door so, open, um, <laughs> you need to change a tire and you don't have anything to, you know, put the car on, you can jack the car up, slide the book under it and you'll be okay. fine. Let me give you, let me give our listeners two insights then from the book. Okay. And then just in case someone wants to go pick it up. Okay. Number one is this leadership is disruption. There are some people when it comes to leadership where, and when they're being led, they are wanting to bring things, bring this chaos into a, into a sense of organization. And it's like, yes, okay, now it's ready. Now we're good to go. I've put in my new vision and strategy and, and we're good to go. And that, that was good for that time. But if you are not constantly leading the disruption and then bringing about change, then someone else or something else is going to disrupt your organization and you are going to be out of control of that. So what does it look like when it comes to leadership where you're never like, okay, now everything is exactly the way I want it to be. I am good to go. That's probably the time where this is a second insight where organizations are either growing or aging. That's probably the moment or the moment too late where your organization has actually moved from growing to aging. And then there's clear signs when you're on both. So those are the two big, big 50,000 foot takeaways of the book. And then through the book, it shows you, yeah, if you're at this stage, this is who you need on your team. This is what the, 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 the normal problems and the abnormal problems are. And there are problems all throughout the life cycle of an organization. So it just gave a, a, an unpopular or a, a insight into leadership that a lot of people aren't talking about today. Todd, what are you reading right now? Well, okay. So I have, I'm currently about two thirds through with unreasonable hospitality, which is Will Guerrera. And you guys know how I eat. I, I eat like a five-year-old, but this is about, <laughs> um, a rest, it, it's, he's a restaurateur who was basically awarded with the best restaurant on the planet. And it's the story about how they went from, you know, being a Michelin two-star restaurant to a four-star restaurant to the highest award you can receive. And one of the key takeaways from it, I would say in the very beginning of the book, he talks about uh, how he interviewed people and just how important selection is. And he said, what's the difference between customer service and hospitality? 
and one of the people answered, well, service is black and white and hospitality is in color. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, that is good. Because when you think about hospitality or when you think about, um, you know, customer service, you know, obviously we want people in our churches uh, to be well cared for. Guest services are super important to us. But a lot of times we think we make it very transactional in that, you know, it's boxes checked. It's it's about the process, not about the person. Sometimes we have a tendency over the course of time to make it about the the pro- the person is for our process that we've put together. It's like, no, 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 no. Our process is for the person and we need to disrupt that process if it is not serving them well or on occasion or when there's, you know, somebody that comes in that might be different and need, you know, something special or so- something new. And so great, great book. And honestly, it's about culture. So many things come back to culture. We know that. Edgar Schein, y'all talked to, heard me talk about that. That's my Bible for organizational culture. And it's, it's older than I am. Uh, the book is, and I'm not young anymore. Okay. Uh, so pick that up as well. It'll be uh, a good one for you to have. The other book that I just finished is somebody I had on the podcast recently recorded with Addison Bevere. And I was probably, I don't know, uh, two thirds through when I recorded with him. But man, that was a really good book. It's Words with God, um, Trading Boring Empty Prayer for Real Connection, Addison Bevere, Words with God. I really like that book and I read it cover to cover, which is which is odd for me um, for something in that genre and something uh, that I sometimes struggle with, which is rich prayer. The interesting thing, personally, what happened to me was I was reading these two books at the same time and having a conversation with Addison about integrated prayer, uh, how prayer is integrated into your life and different things. And it hit me that I'm very transactional in my prayer life and that my prayers are in black and white. And, Hmm. you know, I, I needed to switch them over. So we should probably get past the first question, but Dan, what do you, what do you have? <laughs> uh, yeah. For, for me, in terms of just uh, something I'm reading right now, that is, uh, it's really been great for me. Um, I, I used to work in politics. Um, I like following it, although the U S politics right now seems to be crazy. Um, I'm reading, don't hold back, leaving behind the American gospel to follow Jesus fully by David Platt. And man, this book is really, really good. Um, just talking about what the church's role should be and how we should be focused on, you know, what, what Christ commands us to. So, um, if you're like me where you like politics, but also are disheartened to see what's going on in the world today, uh, pick that one up. It's really, really good. Um, but let's move on to the second question, Daniel, what's one thing that you've listened to recently? So for me, can I, can I answer it as watch slash listen? Would that work too? Sure. (laughs) Because with Tim Keller passing, there's, I mean, I've been listening to him for so long ever since I started or probably before I became a pastor and there were so many posts, right? It's like when he passed Mm -hmm. or when he was about to pass everyone and anyone was posting about him. And, and I, I struggled with that for me personally, because I was like, okay, you know, there, there's a lot, there's a lot being posted. What do I want to say? And I couldn't actually come up with the words to say anything. 
And I remember as I was processing all of it, there was this YouTube series that he had just started like half a year ago. It was called Discovering the Gospel in Every Book of the Bible five months ago. And as I started watching that, I was I was really excited because like, man, it's, it's going to be like Tim Keller's introduction to five, 10, 15 minute introduction to every book of the Bible. And when he passed, I started looking and I was like, man, did he finish it? And three weeks ago was his last one, first wow. and second Samuel. He had made it all the way up to there. And that just brought this sense of, oh, man, we have really lost we have really lost one of the good ones, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? This guy, the way that he exegeted scripture and he was so different. He wasn't flashy. I remember when we did a event with Lifeway with him up in New York, he just wore the most unassuming thing. And I still remember to this day, cause I was organizing the, the event with Ed Stetzer and, and Todd and, and the whole team. And, and I remember when I met, Tim for the very first time, I was like, Oh, hi, Tim. My name's Daniel. And he looked at me. He was like, Oh, I know who you are. And for that moment, it was like the heavens opened up and <laughs> I started hearing, he knows my name. <laughs> but it was just that moment where I'm sure he was just re- referencing the fact that because I was organizing the event, he got that and, and he did write the, an endorsement to planting missional churches. But it was just this unassuming side of him where he was brilliant in thought, so perceptive in, in what he said. And, and he was just giving himself, giving himself to the church, giving himself to his local church, to Redeemer city to city, and then to the global church through resources like this. So, so it's a bit of a, I, I haven't made my way through all of them because I'm, I'm saving them. It's, it's pretty hard to, to see when he starts, he's of good health because he was recovering quite a bit. And then at the end of the last one, you can just see how, how much weight he, he lost and, and just the condition of his health. I don't want to not answer the question, but I'm going to talk about Tim Keller as well for a second. I remember, so I think we did three different interviews with him over the years on 5LQ. And I remember probably best was everything had just shut down from COVID. And so we were in the midst of that. And he, you know, graciously kept the interview when the, the everything's falling apart, New York shut down. And we had a, a very candid conversation that actually tied back to 9-11 and just him processing what that was like and what this was like and the differences and, you know, what the, the, the rest of the church was going to experience as a part of what COVID was bringing was similar to what he, what, you know, New York had experienced in 9-11, meaning that everything shut down. And it, it was just, I mean, one of many, one of many uh, uh, conversations, the quote that sticks out to me from one of the interviews was I'm more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. I'm more accepted and loved by Jesus than I ever dared to hope. And I'm just like, man, <laughs> And you know, it's legit. That's the beautiful. Yeah. I remember listening to that episode too. It was, yeah, (laughs) the guy is just such a sage and he's left behind an incredible legacy of what it looks like to finish well in the midst of many examples of not finishing well. So Mm -hmm. he was really a gift to the church. Dan, how about you? 
Yeah, I mean, before before Daniel answered, I was going to say the same thing about listening to to Keller things. Like, I feel like I've seen so many things. Like, there was a Desiring God podcast where they put back together an interview they had with him out there just about it was kind of about going through rough times and how to handle it. It wasn't necessarily, I think about his cancer, but, um, I was, yeah, it was about him going through, I think one of his earlier cancer surgeries, um, um, like many years ago and man, just, just the, the way he points people back to Jesus in those moments is so, so incredible. And, you know, it, like you guys said, in a world today of kind of celebrity pastors and big personalities and things that get a lot of attention, he was just this voice that, that just proclaimed Christ and all that he did. So that, that was going to be my answer. I, I didn't think of a different one in the meantime, but like you guys said, he's been everywhere since his passing. But let's move, let's move on to our third question here. This is an, always an interesting one. What is one tool or resource that you've started to use recently? Okay. So one of my favorite things to do more recently, like if I can't, this is not good to help you sleep, by the way. But if I can't sleep, I start to go down the rabbit hole on different types of uh, AI tools. So everybody thinks chat GPT, you know, whatever. Uh, they think of the, the main ones, but there's so many specialized use case AI. Yeah, so from design to everything. You'll never pay for a logo ever again once you understand it. So like Midjourney, I think I've actually talked about Midjourney once before on the podcast. I like that one because it's it's fun and you can just keep going back and forth with it until you get what you want. But there's other things like you can take a document and ask it to create a presentation out of it. Is it perfect? No. Is it 80% done? No. <laughs> Tome is the one that I play with. But it it gets you a little bit further. You know, it gets you a little bit further down the road for sure. I was having a conversation with an ed- one of our editors recently, uh, and she was like, do you really think, she knows I like technology and stuff, so she was asking me. She's like, do you really think it can re- replace, you know, people when it comes to some of this? And I was like, definitely. But probably what it's going to do is it's not going to, it's going to replace people who don't know how to use it more than it's going to replace anything. Like I think the work of, you know, five editors will probably be done by one editor that really understands how to use this technology well. So it's not going to replace you. It's going to be replaced by somebody who knows how to use it. Well, that's what I would say. That's, that's what I'm playing with as well as, going back to some old wells. So things like summaries.com. I love summaries.com because it allows me to send somebody a book I know they won't read. (laughs) Because I'm like, you should read this book. And they'll be like, oh, I'll pick it up. And I'm like, no, you won't. Here's a summary. (laughs) Here's what you need. Here's here's what you're, or this might be, this might be the catalyst that causes you to actually read it once you see what, what it is. It's good for me too, for things that I'm like, I'm not, I look at that and I'm like, I, people are talking about it, but I'm not going to invest in it. I'm not going to invest the time in reading this book. I just want to be able to understand it and know it. If they ask me if I'm not, if I've read it, I'm going to, I'm not going to say I've read it because I read the summary. Um, but I'll tell them I read the summary and the key points from it. 
or be able to at least hold a, an intelligent conversation. So those are two things. Yeah, I've been wrestling with what to say and whether I should go, because I could go down that AI route as well. And then, but the thing that keeps on popping into my mind is fitness. So I got rid of my Apple Watch. Actually, I'm about to sell it because I'm like done. I'm done with all the notifications. <laughs> it was just driving me bonkers. And I would try to shut them off and then they would come back on and all that stuff. So I'm done with that. And I'm going a little bit more old school in in, in how I track and, and all of that. But the thing that I recently bought was a attachment to my bike for my dog. No. <laughs> so I, my, I have a double doodle. Our dog passed away during COVID. So we bought another one and this dog is super active. And I tried biking with her and she literally pulled my bike. It was, she was so strong and had so much energy. I was like, I'm never doing this again. Cause this is so dangerous. I thought I was going to fall off my bike. <laughs> so it's this attachment it's brilliant actually you you attach it on to your seat pole and it has this tension mechanism at the back and it actually goes 360 so the dog can go 360 like on on either the left side or behind the bike and on the right side and i'm going fast and it's not dragging the dog it's just it's just pulling it's she can keep up and if she ever stops or goes left or right my bike doesn't stop she just comes along. So I don't know how the tech works, but it's just this, it's, it's tension, it's spring, it's something and, it, and it's not pulling my bike down. So <laughs> that's uh, that's the tool that I wanted to share. That's Stay awesome. active everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to see like video of you with your dog. That's like sledding you across Canada. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I pictured. I'm like, why not get a sled? Then you can. Hey, then you hey, can it's, hey, it's not just winter here. It's winter six months out of the year where I live, but it's spring, summer, and fall is pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I don't have anything exciting for this one. As I, uh, I think the only thing that I use on a regular, regular basis right right now is Google Translate, since I um, live in a Spanish speaking country um, at the moment. Um, but that's all. That's all I got. Okay. Well, then uh, we'll ask you who is the one person that has influenced you recently, other than Daniel or myself. Oh, and Tim man. Keller. <laughs> and Tim Keller. Yeah. And Tim Keller. <laughs> Honestly, man, for me, so um, Chandler Vinoy and I are are doing the unseen leadership podcast right now we're, we're um, interviewing a bunch of folks and going to re-release that podcast here again soon and we've been interviewing just a number of people but one of those has really stuck out to me um, was a guy named uh, Todd Bolzinger and one of the things within that was just the humi humility of of who he is and what he was doing like I, I feel like this has been a theme over a number of people on the podcast of just they're doing their work and they're doing it unto the Lord and they're doing it with humility and they're striving for excellence, but also just 
continuing on um, faithfully. It wasn't about them as a person or making a name for themselves. And I feel like um, so easily we can get caught up in, you know, hey, I want the biggest church. I want the biggest name. I want all these things. Um, But, you know, when you encounter these guys where it's like, no, man, they want to make Christ famous and they want you know, they, they want growth in their church and in their organizations, but they want it for the glory of God. And just, I feel like some of those people have been really influencing me just in my daily work of just what I do at Lifeway of like, you know, this isn't building Lifeway's name. It's not building our platform. It's, it's, you know, giving biblical resources, gospel centered resources to people to flourish their ministries. And so that, that's been something that I've been thinking about lately. For me, so it's been two years actually it's been almost four years since i came back to canada believe it or not and it's been two years since i've taken over as lead pastor at beulah alliance church here and and for listeners who don't know about the church we're 102 years old one of the first alliance or i think the first alliance church in in alberta western canada and God's just used this church to start more than 30 other churches and, and we're multi-site in the city. So when I think about stepping into this position and I'd never been a lead pastor before, I never led at this level and this magnitude. One thing the elders blessed me with was uh, to be a part of this learning cohort with the Ascent leader for first time lead pastors. And we've been to many different churches and spent time with different pastors and and one of the 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 one that sticks out most at this moment is when we visited new life church in colorado springs brady boyd is the lead pastor there and he took over after the whole scandal with uh haggard and and all that 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 spilled out and and then after he took over there was a shooting on the church campus i don't know if you guys remember that from 10 plus years ago but anyways we were with him and and we spent all day with him and the thing that sticks out to me most was he was like okay at the end of my ministry life right when i when i quote unquote retire as a pastor i want three things to be true of me i want to love the church i want my family to love me and him to love his family and so that there there's there's a healthy view of the church there's health in his relationship with his family and then his third one was i want to still be able to cry and what i love about that is his picture of finishing well was a picture of hum- of, of of humility and humanity this picture of I don't want to let the, the, the pain and the criticism and the hurt of ministry so affect me that my heart is hard or so affect my church or, or my family that, or yeah, so affect my family that my family resents me or resents the church. And it was just this picture of, yeah, what does finishing well look like? It doesn't mean having this big retirement account or being on some list or having this quote unquote human legacy. It's this profound image of humility and humanity. So, so yeah, that's, that's just been running through my mind for the last couple of years. How do I run at a pace where that is true of me? How do I, in the midst of priorities and in the midst of everything that 
is begging of my attention, stay human in that way and stay humble and, and think about it from the long-term perspective as I'm, yeah, 17 years in ministry, but only two years into this role. For me, I would, I would basically say recently the people that kind of shaped me into who I am from childhood. So everybody that listens to podcasts for very long knows uh, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, one stoplight in the county, not the town. And so it was just these good and godly people who were farmers and factory workers and and uh, whatever that that invested in me. So I look back and I think of my Sunday school teachers, the guy that led RAs at my church, Royal Ambassadors, uh, which is like, I don't know what, what, I don't think it's around anymore, but you know, it was the people that invested in me. So I can rattle off their names and they're just normal people that nobody would know, you know, but they were church members who were growing in spirit they weren't perfect but they were growing in spiritual maturity by using their gifts and service to christ and i greatly benefited from that and i think about them and the people that i serve alongside today you know i've got a a, a co-teacher we teach sixth grade boys and i i mean you know this is it's not part of my job but I've been a pastor for so long, you know, like it, it does kind of seem like, okay, well, you're supposed to, you're supposed to do this. Why is this guy doing this? And then, and then to look back and go, man, these people, they did all of this stuff during the week. And then they, you know, spent Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and other times, uh, way back when just investing in me or taking me fishing or, you know, whatever it was. And man, I'm just, I don't know if it's a phase of uh, or stage of life, but I'm really reflective on what those small, ordinary deposits of, you know, conversations and encouragement and the great effect that they had on on my life. I wouldn't I wouldn't be here without those people. And it's just uh, it's just an encouragement to go back and come alongside churches and help churches equip those people. So I love what I get to do. I want to divert for a second away from our our last typical um, question here with the quick hitters, just to talk about something that I saw on your Instagram feed, Daniel M, is that you guys recently at Beulah celebrated 80 baptisms. Can you tell us about like how that happened and just what you've learned through that? And just, you know, it's what what an awesome testimony of what God's doing there in Canada and in your church. Yeah, thank you. Um, I was blown away by it. We didn't, I think we only had like three or four. I don't even think it was four. It was three people who said they were going to get baptized. And it was something that, this is something that Beulah has done a few times in the past, but not in the last five to seven years or so. So I was, I'm preaching through the Gospel of Mark right now and and we're just doing it a few verses at a time so a couple weeks after easter we were at that place where john the baptist was was baptizing people and then that and then that was one week prepping for it and then the week after was jesus getting baptized and and i just spent that week talking about that 
okay, hmm. why did Jesus get baptized? And after exegeting the text, giving people a theology of baptism and and what what that would look like and really lead people to that sense of, yeah, hey, hey, here's like, what are you, what are you waiting for? Right. What are you waiting for? What is preventing you from taking this step of faith? And, and so the, the messages on, on YouTube or on our website, if you, if you want to watch it, but after that, we then opened the door for, for people to get baptized. I basically got, I, I, I basically addressed every single excuse anyone would ever have <laughs> near the end of my message. And then I had this moment where I was like, Hey, I, if you didn't bring clothes, we have clothes for you. If you're, if, if your loved ones aren't here, we're recording this for you. And I, and I ended it with like, we could go all day here. Like there's literally no excuse if you haven't been baptized and in the, and, and invited people to get baptized now in the background. So that's the preaching part on the, in the background, it took weeks and weeks of preparation. We have a ministry school called the Beulah training Institute and the students, it was their group project for the year. And what they basically did was they organized everything from lining up interviewers, our elders and others to be interviewers in one room, uh, a massive change room and supplies for men and another one for women with all different sizes of clothes and and hygiene products and all that for both sides. And there is, there is, there is this way where it wasn't just like, Oh, you want to get baptized? Come and share your story because not everyone wants to do that. That's, that's actually an obstacle, but we wanted to make sure that people got interviewed and that it was legit and that this was a real thing for them and a commitment that they wanted to make. And then in the background, they're going through this whole process and we had two tanks on stage and then we would baptize them one after another. And some people wanted to share their stories. Others didn't, but it was just such a beautiful, yeah, it, it, it was, it was such a uplifting and momentum building sort of weekend for our church family where even this one, I'll tell you two stories. One guy was driving by our church, had never been to Beulah, hadn't been in a church in forever and felt like he had to go and that he had to go into the church. So he, he drives into the parking lot, comes in, it's in the middle of the service. He sits through worship and through the sermon and gets up and he's like, you know what? I, this is, I need to get baptized <laughs> and then goes through the front. Like literally he's never been to Beulah. It's just this, the Holy spirit drawing him into, into our presence. Another one was there was this older lady who got baptized. And uh, this is a story of one of our congregants where, where this, this older lady, she emerges out of the water and there, this, this one person sitting in the pews, there's, he, he feels like this rush of wind this this presence of god just kind of overwhelm him and immediately he's like okay i gotta go too and and he immediately gets up and he goes and just like story after story even this one wife she's she's serving and and she's I could go all day with these stories, but she's serving, helping out, and she feels this urge to get baptized. Her husband, who is sitting somewhere else in the auditorium, not serving, gets up as well, goes, gets baptized. This one, this one lady, after the Saturday night service, she's like, I was infant baptized. And I was infant baptized too, but I got baptized later as an adult. And she was just wrestling with all these, all these excuses, all these reasons. And I was, I was trying to answer them as best as I could. And I was like, you know what? For me, it just, it comes down to obedience. 
it comes down to, yeah, I know there's church practice. There's this sense of, yeah, okay, what is pedo-baptism? And, and I recognize there are, you have listeners that are pedo-baptists, but I was just walking through, I wasn't, I wasn't saying anything negative about pedo-baptists or my Presbyterian background, but I was like, when I, when I read the scriptures, this is how I came to see it. And Jesus got baptized. Baptism means immersion. There's a sense where, and, and, and for me, I, I had so many excuses, but I just came down to it being, it's, a, it's about obedience. So I said that she came back the next day <laughs> and got baptized. Wow. So it was just so cool to see how the spirit of God baptism isn't the be all end all, but it's just, it's, it's neat to see how God, God was working through people's obedience and, and just brought a collective lift to the church in that way. Very cool. Well, man, I don't say this very often to a guest, but love you. (laughs) I love having you on. Um, it's always, always a pleasure. It's always fun. And we loved having you as a, a co-host for so many years, but so happy that you're back into the local church and doing damage for Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you too, man. I miss our days at Lifeway and actually right behind me in the video, I still have my Lifeway brick from, from the original <laughs> offices. So, and I got a new churches cup, even though new churches is different now. So I, 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 I think about you guys often. So <laughs> good. Deal. Awesome. Love it. Well, Daniel, thank you again for, for being with us and sharing what's going on in your life and what, you know, it looks like in your own leadership experiences. Um, and thank you listeners for being with us today. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, we encourage you to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts uh, to help others find us. Uh, thanks again for listening. Thank you.